the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Hello. Good morning. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. A little tuckered out after a weekend of home repair. Don't know about you, but <clears throat> getting up and down ladders and cleaning your own gutters and things like that. And by the way, get your mind out of the, the gutter. <laughs> I was just cleaning my gutters. That's literally what I was doing. Nothing. Thank you very much. I'll have a hamburger. Speaking of hamburgers, I know you're saying, where's this going? Hello Fresh is going to start selling a vegan burger. And I... Beyond Meat's Vegan Burger is heading to Hello Fresh's Meal Kits. And I just can't get that excited. <laughs> I wish I could, but I can't. So where is the beef? Stocks jump today. Kind of interesting. I don't know. Do you do you watch the headlines on the weekend? Trump was all after one of his former cabinet members, Scaramucci. But then what's kind of interesting now is... He, it appears he's starting to get a little paranoid on the uh, economy. And he's basically saying there's people are making up statistics, lying about the economy, like government people. Trump's yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump is convinced there's a conspiracy to distort economic data, which is interesting in and of itself because – I don't know. I, I like conspiracy theories like, you know, did the United States hide a UFO in the desert? We shot it down and then we hit it or something. Like I like conspiracy theories like that. But exaggerating the prospects of a recession, I don't know. That rare inverted yield curve is what it is to me. And that was where all the talk of the recession came from, not a lot much else at this point in time. So sources familiar with the matter have said the president has told aides and allies that opponents were seeking to rob him of a key strength entering the 2020 election campaign, the strength of the economy during the presidency. Um, you know, the presidents, I'm not going to say definitively win or lose based on the economy. But if the economy is in the crapper, they tend to lose um, incumbent presidents. Agitated by news reports of uh, and warnings by economists of recession signals, the president has privately claimed that forces that do not want him to win have been exaggerating the damage of his trade war and how it's caused uh, hurt the global economy. What's interesting about this is he did claim, quote, the fake news media is doing everything they can to crash the economy because they think that that will be bad for me and my reelection. Oh, what if it's not fake news? And what if he's just whistling past the graveyard, per se? And uh, 
in the past, I used to say presidents can't do that much to tank an economy. It's really Congress that passed the bills and the spending and the budgetary issues. But this is a president who kind of circumvented Congress and said, let's let's cancel this trade agreement with China and wait for a new one. So anyhow, that's kind of one of the big stories out there today. I know you're saying that's a big story. It's not the greatest Monday ever. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. GE is disputing fraud claims. The general, General Electric, disputed the accounting fraud allegations raised by forensic accountant Harry Markopoulos. Claims last week triggered GE to take a massive dive. And when I said last week, I'll still stand by. I'm not a fan of companies that are under siege and kind of civil war kind of companies where you love it or you hate it. And yeah, you're either going to strike out big and lose a lot or you're going to hit a home run. And I don't like those stocks. It's just not the way I play the game. But uh, there was a 175-page report that this man, Markopoulos, said that GE is a bigger fraud than Enron. Enron was an energy services company that filed for bankruptcy protection in 2001. I have a picture of me near the Enron building in Houston. <laughs> they had a, a E that was kind of electrified and on its side, on its point, I guess is the right way of saying it. And uh, I felt bad about it almost the moment I took it. I was like, I can't post that on Facebook or anything in large part because a lot of people lost a lot of money. I know you're saying, look at you using a little bit of common sense. That doesn't sound like you, Rob. So, geez, in the news. I know, I know, I know. Um, Apple's AirPod. Uh, this is kind of a cute so- a side story. I've never lost my AirPods. I got them two years ago when they first came out, two and a half years ago, maybe. And everyone's like, oh, aren't you going to lose them? And then I was like, this weekend I went to grab them. I'm like, I can't find them, I can't find them, I can't find them. I was like, I'm going to clean all weekend long. I'm going to do my gutters, I'm going to do my car, I'm going to, you know, a couple other things that need to be uh, done before winter. I know you're saying winter. Yeah, I like to be kind of the eager beaver and get stuff done. When I found them, I was like, whoo, they're in the bottom of my uh, glove box in my car. And I was like, whoa. But I thought I had lost them. And I felt like, oh, how am I going to like get up and down ladders without music? That's how like much they're a part of me, so to speak. So anyway, Apple's June quarter financial results got a surprise boost from the AirPods. And I've been doing a lot of research on the new AirPods that are coming out. And um, I watched an interview this morning on ESPN where the guy was wearing AirPods instead of a headset or instead of a wired mic into his ear. So the producer can say two minutes, two minutes, and you can't hear him. But um, the wearables are moving a needle now for Apple. We're, we're not even talking about the services. Uh, now, the HomePods lumped into that. And if you just take a look at the wearables, that's the AirPods and the HomePod. Uh, it's a Fortune 500. It's a Fortune 200 company. One of the two largest companies, 200 largest companies. That's pretty impressive. Um, AirPods hit $5.5 billion, exceeding iPad sales of $5 billion. There's little stupid things in your ears. My producer just said two minutes in a creepy love voice. I Y'all can't hear him because he's talking in my AirPods, right? It's the creepy love voice that's freaking me out. So anyway, Apple iPhone users 
um, only found that 7% in a survey own AirPods. So Apple's got a long way to go with these puppies if they want to. Analysts think AirPods will cross 100 million in uh, installed base in September 2020 fiscal year with the potential to generate close to 10 billion in revenues, basically doubling where it is now, right? Then you combine 20 billion in the Apple Watch and you get the revenue equivalent of selling 40 million iPhones. You kind of see why Apple did this, huh? Or right? So, not to focus too much on Apple and AirPods today because I don't really want to do it. Let's talk recession. Um, stocks jumped this morning on renewed optimism for that U.S.-China trade deal. And with Trump starting to talk about exaggerated claims to the economy, economy slowing down, bad for a re-election, you got to think at some point in time, the next play in his playbook is going to be, hey, look at the great negotiator signed a deal with China, right? China's taking steps to boost their economy. Germany hinted at possible fiscal stimulus, and U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Wilbur! Wouldn't that be great if everyone said that to him? Wasn't Wilbur a talking horse or something like that? No, no, the man was a talking man, but there was a talking horse. And he would always say, Wilbur! Well, Wilbur Ross, our Commerce Secretary, said Huawei would be able to buy from U.S. companies for another 90 days. Playing nice. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking all Some levels, 2019 has been a year of China and U.S. trade talks, although that's really a 2018 story that's bled into 2019. <clears throat> On some other levels, I think it's it's worthy of note that 2019 has been a year of pretty sexy IPOs. If you take out Uber and Lyft, the IPO market's been hot, hot, hot. Now, sadly, Uber and Lyft were probably the two most anticipated. A couple years ago, I got introduced to a company that's getting ready to go public. And my experience is, I'm going to say, I, I approached this deal, an IPO, because I know you want to talk about it. People like talking IPOs. I approached this deal as an IPO is very cautiously. It's office-sharing company called WeWork. They've moved one step closer to the public markets. They filed paperwork to go public. WeWork, ticker symbol will be WE, W-E. It filed confidentially for an IPO last year to aim at a raise of about a billion plus dollars. It's one of those companies that is a unicorn, i.e. it's losing billions of dollars. I know you're saying, that sounds more like Sarah Jessica Parker than a unicorn. Sarah? Sarah? Are you there, Sarah? <clears throat> I'll do my own sound effects. Hi, it's talking to you again, Sarah. Uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs are lead underwriters. So they've got some pretty good investment bankers. Uh, the prospectus of the company is something I read this weekend. And I was in bed and I was a little sore from working. And uh, it's trying to fake. The prospectus uses the word community a lot. 
the word community appeared in the prospectus 150 times. The very first sentence was, we are a community company committed to maximum global impact. So I'm a little weirded out by that. Um, the company's stated mission is in no less than to evaluate the world's consciousness. <laughs> I used that line on a woman I was trying to impress in college. I said, I want to elevate the world's consciousness. She spurned my advances. Um, I just found their perspectives to be stupid. I'll, I'll put it right out there for you. Um, they had a slogan on the front page. It said, we dedicate this to the energy of we. Greater than any one of us, but inside each of us. And I'm like, what's wrong with this? We work started as a single space located in lower Manhattan in 2010. It's grown to 528 locations. If you're doing a startup and you can't afford to sign a lease... You sign a deal with them, and you have a desk, and it's kind of you're part of a community. The company makes money by selling memberships, offering extra services, and extending the global platform beyond the world of work. So it's kind of a play on real estate of reselling or releasing real estate. And already right there, my BS detector is going, I don't like it. Why not just buy a REIT that's, that leases out office spaces to companies like WeWork who subleases it to someone else? It would be like you buying, let's say, I'm going to invest in all the people that are ripping off landlords in San Francisco by keeping their rent control but putting their friends in instead of giving up the apartment. Now, I know you're saying, screw the landlords, they make so much money. But you're also getting around the whole idea there. So it's a durable business model. People are always going to need space. But it brings up a lot of questions. And their CEO is a little bit of a nut job. Or he's a perceived nut job. Excuse me. I don't want to get slandered or sued in any way, shape, or form. Oh, it's Phil Grandy. Phil Grandy missed the money show this weekend because this week he had like five plane connections all messed up due to weather and due to 737s. Horrible. Charles Barkley. Uh, stock-based compensation expenses. Stock-based compensation expenses are very, very high. Income or expenses related to changes in fair value of assets and liabilities is remeasured to fair value on a recurring basis. So they're constantly making their assets tough to compare. We work lost in the last six months, $909 million, wider than they expected $722 million posted in the year earlier. So in the first six months, they lost more than they lost all of last year. Now, revenue rose from $1.5 billion to almost $3 billion, and that's sweet. But when you release property and ultimately add a lot of services that the property is not adding – Maybe it's like banking. Um, there's not a lot of margins. So I'm not questioning it. Like, I'm not going to talk you out of it. It's not my business. But I'll tell you a couple of questions that I had after reading the prospectus. Stable cash, do they have it or not? And in a nutshell, they don't. 
WeWork has built a big, fast-growing business, $1.5 billion in revenue for the first half of 2019, projected to make $3 billion this year. Uh, the necessary cost to maintain that revenue, location operating expenses, pre-opening location expenses, it soaked up all their revenue. Now, they have $2.5 billion in cash, but they're losing tons of money faster than they're raising revenue, and they're not even smelling profits at this point. So when you can use a word or phrase like cash went out the door faster than at other money-losing companies like Uber, you're like, whoa, that's amazing. They lost more money faster than, than Uber did? Yes. Now, what happens when the economy goes south? A lot of people are talking the recession, right? They are world. What will happen to WeWork's IPO? What will happen to their business model when suddenly people aren't starting up companies? They're going back to get master's degrees. They're going to home to live with mom and dad. Their IPO failed. Uh, angel investors take a three, six, nine-month break. That's a bit of a problem. Now, what WeWork will have to do is come up with longer leases and try to build up backlog of commitments. The typical commitment from a member using their office services is about 15 months. So, they have a new CEO, Adam Newman, Newman, um, who is very controversial. He holds majority voting control over decisions to select board members. He has set up a type share system very similar to Facebook, where he can't be ousted. Um, and he's also taken out a lot of loans against his shares already. He's pretty controversial, and then he's not... I'm not going to say he's not CEO material, but you know, saying that he's a controversial CEO is, tells you a lot. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money investing and more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Speaking of horsies, this song makes me think I'm on a horse. It's got a gallop to it, does it not? Tesla's in the news. <laughs> Ye old Elon Musk. Tesla CEO Elon Musk on Sunday announced a new solar panel rental program. Dun, da, da, da. What? It's not the Model 50. It's not Teslas don't fly. They're not submarines. They don't have lasers. There's You can't play video games. What? Wait, 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 wait. They're renting solar panels? Customers will be able to rent panels starting at $50 a month in six U.S. states. Musk said the offer was like having a money printer on your roof. The rental plan will be available in California, Arizona, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New Mexico. Do you remember a couple years ago, and I feel like kind of a grade-A jerk, because I used to look at Elon Musk and go, "That's he's doing something other people aren't doing. Um, one of the things that he was trying to do was put solar panels on your roof but make them, I want to use the phrase, and I don't know roofing materials, but you know how Mexican roofs have that kind of red clay? I want to almost call it an adobe red clay. So he was coming up with some solar tiles that looked fashionable and stylish on your roof. Instead of those 
big, ugly panels. And through the years, the big, ugly panels have become much nicer. I talked to Barry Cinnamon from the Cinnamon Solar Show. And he's like, yeah, Rob, like next year's will be better than this year's. And they'll eventually get it so tiny and so small and uh, more energy will come out of them. And But if you put solar panels on 10, 15 years ago, they're big, clunky, it's like Legos up there. And now they're just like thin little wafer thin mints. But Tesla is having problems. They don't want to be in the business of renting things. That's not their business model. Musk said the contract could be canceled, but the cancellation came with a $1,500 cancellation fee, equivalent to 30-month solar panel rental with a $50 contract. Tesla's website says that the fee is just to cover the cost of removal, and the company makes no profit on it. Seems pretty pricey to throw a panel up there for 50 bucks and then to get rid of it $1,500. Just my opinion. Tesla's solar installations have been declining for the past three quarters. Uh-oh. And most recently stood at a record low 29 megawatts in the second quarter of this year. So it's dwindling. So there's other companies who are also losing ground. Um, there's some companies that are doing well in installing solar panels. There's some that are losing ground. But let's just say a couple years ago, we thought this could be like a fun, sexy investment. It hasn't really been very fun or sexy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. And when a stock isn't fun or sexy, it stinks. Analyst commentary in the news. I know you're saying you're having a rough day, aren't you? I kind of am. Do you remember that IPO, Chewy? When it came public, I was like, oh, do we really need this? Didn't we have this before? Chewy's the subscription service for dog food and cat food. It's a subscription. Dun, da, da, da. That's the word that Wall Street loves right now. Remember last week I told you Nike's coming out with a subscription to sneakers. Wall Street loves the word subscription. AOL had a multi-billion dollar market cap because they had us subscribing to the internet for $9.95 a month or whatever it was. They provided some little content that you know was kind of a closed community, but Wall Street loves a good subscription. So digital services is probably another way of saying it. But Chewy is in the news today. And an analyst, an animal an animalist. He's both an analyst and an animal. His name's Mark Kelly. He's talking about e-commerce platforms. And as an e-commerce stock, he says it's it's really good to own an e-commerce stock in a potential recessionary environment. And the two that he likes, Amazon and Chewy. Now, Chewy, every time I say Chewy, I should hear Chewbacca talk. But that's only if my producer's awake and alive and has a pulse. Come on, Chewy. Thank you. Uh, The demand for pet products has been shown to be resilient in good economies and bad economies, which is pretty interesting. I've got a dog, 0111011. When people just get confused when I say that, I've got a dog named Puppy Von Puppy, the world's most evil puppy. And that seems to sit better because people don't like talking in binary. Menacing. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm off topic. 
Uh, E-commerce stocks are... We love our animals in good economies and bad economies. I'm going to have to pay. I'm going to have to pay someone money to make me dog food to feed my dog in a good economy or bad economy. I'm not just going to let her die. Although I saw a pit bull that was just rescued that was 15 pounds and it's supposed to be 50 pounds. What's wrong with people? Anyone that would starve an animal? It's just. If you elect me president, anyone who hurts a child, anyone who hurts. I'm going to put them in the chair. I'm going to electrocute these people. I'm going to put them in the gas chamber. I'm going to melt them. I'm going to have a new type of gas chamber, one that melts people. Thank you very much. Oh, and anyone who emails spam to you, they go in that chamber too. How about that annoying call that you're going to get in about an hour and a half from a, a telemarketer, and you're like, I didn't give you my number. I act like I have brain damage when I get telemarketer calls, and they want to get off the phone really, really fast. I go, I bumped my head. Let me get my mama. They're like, oh, oh it's okay. It's okay. Mama. <laughs> Try doing that to a telemarketer. It's fun. So anyway, advertising took a big hit during the last recession. So we know advertisers can get hit. We also know that things that you want can get hit, but you got to get the dog food, right? So this analyst is saying advertising can take a hit during a recession. Companies pull back their, their ads, even though in theory you should be pushing your advertising more so that you get your message out, right? But the analyst at Nomura, the analyst, he doesn't like Alphabet or Facebook in a potential recessionary environment. But he does like the dog food, Chewy. Ah, he's on to me now. So the analyst went as far as to say, you know, during a recession, people may not use Netflix. They may cut back. Oh, man. Talking about drama this weekend. A friend of mine, uh, he's got a four-year-old kid, and his four-year-old kid plays with another four-year-old kid. And the parents started feuding somehow about almost nothing. It was almost like... Oh, you want to go see a concert? Yeah, I want to go see a concert. Oh, I can't come to the concert. What? You can't come to the concert? I hate you. So the kids are no longer allowed to talk to each other. And in the ultimate, they were sharing a Netflix password. They turned off. They changed their password on them. I love that story. It's the ultimate cold act of revenge. Oh, yeah? 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 Well, you're not going to be able to watch Netflix anymore. <laughs> what an age we live in, huh? So I, I kind of agree with this analyst. You know, it's it's, it's a little thought provoking. What, what do you do in a recession? Right? You avoid companies like Snap and Facebook and, and Google who make their money on advertising. They give a free service, and that cost of that service is there in good economies and bad economies. Now I'm not saying go out and go buy Chewy or Amazon. I'm not saying that. Nomura is kind of saying it. They're, you know, they're throwing a research note out there, and I, th- I think it's thought-provoking enough because I'm I'm not tired, but I'm getting a lot of questions, a lot of questions about a recession. In an age of anxiety, one of my first answers for the uh, people who are anxious about a recession, I'm like, have you tried an antidepressant? <laughs> have you tried Zoloft or something? Um, and I, I don't know if Zoloft is the right term. I think it is. But Americans are stressed, and when we're stressed, we eat our antipsychotics, right? 
So a couple things. Don't retire early. Get ready for a recession. These are all stories like in my head today. Um, retiring early is kind of interesting because a lot of people want to do it. And then they do it and they don't know what to do. I've talked to CFP Chad Burton about this before. And I'm at the age where I could conceivably say I want to retire. I've worked, a little, I've worked many years. Um, I've got Social Security statements that prove that. That goes back to age 14. And I'm on the wrong side of 40, right? So you go back and you're like, yeah, you've had a career. But we've seen more people retire early and not know what to do. And then also not plan for things like health care. So I once wanted to retire when I was 35. I got to 35. I'm like, nope. Now I kind of want to work passively until I do retire because I don't really know what I want to do in retirement. So when you retire from work, there's been a lot of studies that say you start to lose your memory because you're on mental retirement. Greatest thing about this job here is every single day I get to talk about Wall Street. Every single day I get to talk about IPOs. Every single day I get to talk about new technology. On some levels, I'm paid pretty well to do a lot of research and be kind of connect the dots with that research for you. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I love what I do. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Song recorded in 2010 before the band became popular in 2012. Imagine Dragons, ladies and gentlemen. They're an alternative indie band out of Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> the song's called It's Time. And it's pretty interesting. The, t- the time from 2010 to 2012, when the band became big, if you listen to the very, 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 very first copy of this, when they're selling albums like Out of a Van or CDs Out of a Van, it has a very... Um, Pretty cool clap stomp track. So they're, you know, they're, they're doing that kind of thing at the beginning of the song. And what's interesting to me is there's a chick in the band. And you're like, Rob, you don't refer to women as chicks. No, she's literally a chicken, like a little chick. No, no. So there was a female in the band. And you could see it because they went to a radio station and they did their little clapping thing. And they did the song It's Time right before they're about to get big. And... She's in the video at the uh, radio station, and it's one of those cool, hip Seattle radio stations. We're the cool, hip Seattle radio station. Everyone listens to us. We're going to do a little coffee right now with Magic Dragons. And it's their new song. It's time. It's 2010. So she's in the band, and like she, she stands out because she's got that Seattle Pacific Northwest kind of hair piece made out of yarn. And you're like, they don't wear those in the rest of the country, do they? That's pretty unique looking. And then they become super famous in 2012. Super famous. The album breaks through, and they come out with an album in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2017. Uh, they're everywhere. They're the song that comes on before an NFL game. They're the song that comes on before a college football game. Like, it's mainstream. I'm like, where did she go? Turns out her and the drummer left the band right before they became big. That's, whoops, 
oopsie whoopsie. Um, now they wanted to focus on having a family, and I get that. But oopsie whoopsie, right? Um, asked to come back to the band, and Dan Arnold's uh, lead singer said no. <laughs> um, it is what it is, right? Great article today about Adam Singer, and I know you're saying, who's Adam Singer? He sounds like an actor. Nope, he's formal. He's a former Google marketing manager. And he's lived in the Bay Area for 10 years plus. And he wrote a piece, an article on home prices. And he said, basically, I'm leaving the city. It's too much for me. And you know he has the money. Uh, He tweeted a lot over the weekend. Uh, He talked about the difference between San Francisco. And he he took a trip a couple years ago to Austin. He's like, he really liked Austin. So he purchased land, and he's moving to Texas. <laughs> now, this story doesn't have the end of what it's like in Texas after 10 years. But we know what it's like in San Francisco after 10 years. It's expensive. Um, he went way out of his way to like show a comparison of what $450,000 buys in San Francisco and what $450,000 buy or what $450,000 will get you in a San Francisco apartment, like 800 square feet. Or you can have a mansion in in Austin with tile floors, with fountains, with, you know, cathedral ceilings. It's a little unfair. Um, But he said some things that are, like, absolutely true. And at the same time, we're like, yeah, but that's kind of what happens around here. He talked about renting a median-priced home in the Bay Area. It's about $8,500 a month. Um, yeah, you can get a home on the peninsula of $4,500, and it's low-end. $6,500, and it's high-end. He says he doesn't want to buy some starters, a starter home from someone in Palo Alto or San Francisco. He doesn't want to pay $2 million for a starter home. Uh, he's a former Googler. He puts much of the blame on San Francisco's housing prices on city officials who say uh, they don't want to increase the number of condos and apartments in the area. Other cities like Austin and Seattle have been able to keep housing prices from reaching untouchable rates because they've been willing to develop. Is there that much land to develop in the Bay Area? I. It always seems to be like the parking lot next to Cron just throw up a big old... Um, building on top of a parking lot. There used to be parking lots. Now it's a peaceful oasis. This isn't Planet of the Apes where, like, we stumble upon an old parking lot and it's like a forest now. It's the opposite. So he's also, as a former Googler, he's pointing the finger at San Francisco residents who bought their homes years before prices spiked. And he says those owners are cashing on the demand from renters. So they're not selling homes. There's no turnover. They're just saying, okay, let's hold on to what we have and rent it. So he's kind of leaving kind of bitter. And I'm okay with that because I get it. Uh, For people who already own in San Francisco, I think they quietly don't give a F-U-C is what he said. He threw down a curse word, right? They have theirs, whether they want to admit it or not. This is a NIMBY state, San Francisco and California, not in my backyard. We don't want things to change because we have, if you're a homeowner, you're like, I'm good. I'm good. Don't build more condos. 
we don't want poor people. We, I mean, no, no, we don't want teachers to have house. Oh no, no, we, we just don't want the condos. <laughs> right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he leaves Texas and Austin. Austin's a lovely city, by the way. Uh, but coastal cities in the United States have that draw of the ocean right there. Texas has got, you know, a pretty big gulf there too. Um, and career wise, there's, there's absolutely no higher income starting salaries in the Bay area. But also with that being said, if I was 20 years old today, I'd move to Austin because I don't have to make $400,000 to afford a home in Austin. I could own a pretty big home making 60,000. I get what he's saying, but it comes across as we'll see. And again, if you have a home in San Francisco, you're like, yeah, see you later, dude. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.